I think it's all about attribution. Uh, if you can't do attribution, then it's a ticking time bomb, right? Like at some point, the finance team is going to ask you uh, why you need so much budget and what, what's happening from that budget. Hey everyone, CK here and welcome to our new podcast, Half Wasted. In this podcast, we discuss with some of the leading marketing effectiveness professionals about why John's quote is so prevalent to this day, how data can help marketers to make more informed decisions, what kind of use cases and business results data-driven marketing enables. Today we have a very special guest. We have Michael Taylor from Saxifrage, a growth experience experiment lab and consultancy built for rapid experimentation. Uh, hi, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. good. Uh, Mike, have you ever heard about uh, John Wenemaker's famous quote? Yeah, half, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. <laughs> that that exact. Uh, how, how do you see it applies to today's marketing world? Do you think it's still true? Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, always going to be true, actually. Um, you know, I, I think advertising is this arms race between marketers and and uh, the general public right so uh, whenever advertising becomes too much in one channel um, you know like say Facebook uh, right now uh, there's lots of ads you know it's not cool anymore to use Facebook so uh, everyone moves to Snapchat or something else with less ads TikTok um, and then the cycle repeats uh, so uh, there's always going to be this kind of <laughs> you know cat chasing the mouse uh, thing and and uh, and therefore it's always going to be you know it's always going to be need to be Uh, finding new methods for attribution uh, because uh, when the channels change, uh, they you know don't have all the same bells and whistles that the older channels had. You have a lot of experience in this because you actually, uh, in a way, teach marketing mix modeling. Uh, tell a bit why you have decided to maybe move from the growth hacking and kind of uh, the growth consulting into actually teaching marketers how to how to do the marketing mix modeling. Yeah, so I founded an agency called Ladder, and uh, it was a growth hacking agency. So it was it was right when uh, that word was uh, really cool. And actually, I don't know if it was ever cool, but um, but I you know read a lot of the you know Brian Balfour uh, content, and uh, you know was following what people uh, the growth team at Facebook were doing, and just thought this is you know how marketing should be done. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, you know an economics uh, major uh, from from university, so uh, so you know I was in marketing, kind of annoyed that uh, things weren't more systematic and, and measurable. Uh, and um, you know, through the agency, we we're very data driven. Although we didn't actually do that much marketing mix modeling, or at least I didn't know uh, that's what it was at the time. Um, but as we started to grow our clients, they started to explore other channels, not just digital. Um, so, for example, we were working with Monzo Bank when. Uh, they uh, moved from uh, just doing uh, Facebook ads uh, to uh, to doing TV as well, um, and uh, with that, you start to get more attribution challenges. Uh, so I really got into marketing mix modeling as a way to solve that. Like um, you know, every week when you're increasing budget, uh, one of the favorite things to do is uh, figure out what, what where's the diminishing return. So like, where does the budget start to get? Uh, inefficient and uh, that's something you can really only do with uh, linear regression or, or a marketing mix model uh, so so that was kind of my entry point and then since then uh, I realized it's becoming more and more important with uh, you know GDPR privacy changes um, you know Apple's uh, iOS 14 change so uh, so yeah I got, got really deep into it and now I'm trying to teach other marketers how 
you know, how, how this works because it's kind of a black box uh, solution for most people. Why do you think most marketers have uh, kind of neglected this? Or why is it so difficult when you actually, for example, start to consult marketers about this or teach people about it? Yeah, well, I think it, it used to be the predominant way to do attribution, right? Um, you know, uh, back in the days of TV and uh, and obviously people still advertise a lot on TV, but, um, but you know, when you have digital attribution uh, and you can see it's like, you know, Chris came to my website and Chris bought this product, right? And then, and then I, let me you know, share an ad to, you know, a thousand people that are just like Chris. Uh, you know, I think like that, that, that is a drug, you know, that <laughs> you get addicted to uh, and you start to forget about any other type of attribution. Uh, but now a lot of that is going away or is at least uh, severely limited or, or inaccurate. Um, then, uh, you know, you start to uh, go back to these older ways, I, I think. Is that also kind of the same issue when you jump into the companies and kind of uh, help them to gain more growth? Yeah, well, I think marketing is, you know, marketing isn't charity, right? Like it's, uh, it's an investment and, and you need to show a return on that investment. Uh, and that could be over a short period or, or a long period um, if you're doing branding, right? Um, so I think it's all about attribution. Uh, if you can't do attribution, then it's a ticking time bomb, right? Like at some point, the finance team is going to ask you uh, why you need so much budget and what, what's happening from that budget. So I think every, every marketer needs to know about attribution, but uh, it's a pretty difficult topic. And especially marketing mixed modeling, uh, because it's that first kind of shift, at least for the people I know, the, the digital um, you know, digital teams uh, that I, I've worked with, uh, going from deterministic attribution, where you know exactly that it was Chris that bought the product, um, uh, to more like probabilistic attribution. Like we know, uh, on average, we made 15% more sales when we, um, you know, gave out a discount. Um, you know, like that is a hard shift to make, um, and uh, and it takes uh, really like a big culture change within the team uh, to to get used to making decisions that way. Yeah, and. I think in a way it's probably a bit more realistic because no model is uh, perfect. A kind of the deterministic models may be accurate on paper, but in the end it's impossible to say whether this um, consumer came and bought this product based on just solely this advertisement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like um, people mistake precision for accuracy. Right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they, they say, well, like, because I can see in the data that, you know, um, this, you know, this many people saw the ad and then they bought um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was the ad that made them buy. Uh, exactly, right? like, exactly. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're spending a lot of money, like we were on some of our clients, you can actually get to the point where you're showing uh, one ad to every person in the UK, um, you know, per day. And, and if you have a one-day view-through model, uh, then, then uh, you know, Facebook is going to claim that they drove 100% of your sales today, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's clearly not true because if you weren't spending on Facebook, you'd still make sales. Um, so I think get, getting... You know, getting into the weeds of attribution, um, even multi-touch attribution, kind of understanding, you know, how it works and where it's where it's wrong, um, I think is a good gateway into marketing mix modeling because you start to realize, you know, even though it looks very precise, it's actually in- incorrect. Uh, and and you know, if both methods are wrong, but one is more useful than the other uh, to make decisions, then uh, go for the one that's more useful. Yeah, and maybe like looking only the digital channels is half of the truth. There's yeah. this other half that's non-digital. If you neglect that and just like um, 
maybe put it to the branding basket. It might cause you big troubles in the future, I think. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I actually think, you know, I, I mean, a lot of the clients I've worked with were startups, right? So, um, you know, when uh, you you only have customers from word of mouth, uh, like life is pretty easy uh, and you can just, uh, you know, measure you know, how many new customers you got today, divide that by how many active customers you have. And then you have uh, kind of like a word of mouth uh, coefficient. I, I wrote a blog post for Reforge on that. Um, and, and and that's like a great way to grow a business. And just if you optimize for that coefficient um, and do things that spread word of mouth, and that, then uh, you can get pretty far. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like I use the example of Monzo. Um, you know, they didn't really do any paid ads um, until they got to 800,000 customers. Um, you know, so, <laughs> uh, you know, then then obviously they led on Facebook ads, you know, uh, Snapchat, et cetera. Then, then they did TV to really reach scale. I think they're like past 5 million now. Um, but, but, you know, like I, a lot of traditional marketers forget about that fact that because like, they, they work with big brands who only get customers um, because they have you know, a well-known brand or good distribution or they run you know, really expensive TV ads. And they forget that you can actually just grow without marketing first. <laughs> and then when you're in a company like that and you layer on Facebook ads, your attribution is still pretty easy because Facebook ads um, impact is just the difference between you know, what you were getting for word of mouth and what you're getting now. Uh, and, and there's obviously like a halo effect, but uh, these things are like pretty easy to measure and you can use simple linear regression for that. Mm-hmm. I think where it gets hard is when you do have multiple offline channels, um, you have external events like COVID that impact your business, <laughs> like everyone has had to deal with over the past 18 months. Um, and then that's when you need to build a more sophisticated you know, model with multiple variables. I think that's when it starts to get really hard. Um, and, and that transition as a marketing team uh, is can be brutal, actually, because you know, most of the teams don't have the, the staff uh, that understand this. Um, you know, they might not have even heard of marketing mixed modeling. Like most people I talk to don't know what it is uh, or that if they've heard of it, they've never done it. They've, they've maybe never even seen one. So like that's that's kind of the territory I'm playing in, trying to edu- you know, educate them, like bring them into the fold. You know, m- most statisticians don't really share their their, their work right like because they keep it so closely guarded secret um like I, I'm, I'm sure self uh, doesn't uh, open source their algorithms behind the technology Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but but like um, what's good about you know you guys doing this podcast is uh, I think getting more people introduced to the topic and then um, you know people who really want to do it well can then um, you know use more advanced models and, and technologies yeah and I think it's good that in your work you kind of uh, prepare people for the real world cannot kind of um, run away from the modeling or just outsource it because um, if you're if you don't know how it works maybe or don't know the base even the basics of it you can be led astray quite easily and that's at least yeah. maybe what we've seen and probably what you've seen like um, not all of the modelings are as kind of um, mathematic or, or like objective as it would seem at first so it's good to kind of uh, give people at least the means to evaluate the models to some degree. Yeah, exactly. Just playing around in Excel is completely fine. Like, you know, <laughs> um, you know, most uh, most statistics people would kill me for saying that, but uh, but, but like, I, I think you you should you should um, you know build a simple model in an afternoon before you uh, commission uh, an expensive model from a consultant, right? Uh, and spend fifty, hundred grand um, uh, because because you're just going to understand a lot more about what that consultant is doing. And you're going to be able to help them uh, arrive at a better job. So 
Um, so yeah, like actually I had an experience yesterday where I, I just finished uh, writing a ton of code over the past few days to, uh, to automatically build a million marketing mix models, uh, simulate every potential option. And then, uh, and, and actually the, the results were, it was like only 50% more accurate than, uh, than, than my Excel model I built last week. <laughs> so I was like, okay, uh, you know, another reminder that uh, you don't, always need to make it overly complicated <laughs> no not true speaking about covid uh, and especially kind of your ex- expertise in the digital channels how do you see covid kind of uh, affecting digital marketing i think it really shook people out of their um you know stasis <laughs> uh, you know like uh, there, there were a lot of uh, there was a, a running joke at the time it was like Uh, who was responsible for your company's digital transformation? Was it your CIO yeah. or COVID, right? <laughs> uh, and, and like the answer is COVID for most companies um, uh, because uh, suddenly when you're forced to do something, uh, then you can actually innovate pretty quickly. I've seen, you know, just going around the UK as uh, restaurants, like now everything's a bit more open. Uh, like every restaurant is using QR codes now. And, and I never thought QR codes would be a thing in the UK because... <laughs> We just thought this is a bit stupid, and like, why do you need that? <laughs> you know, and and uh, and now it's like commonplace. I, I think you know, digital uh, is the real world now. I think uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that um, are lagging on that thought, but but ultimately, like, people spend more time online than they do in you know in <laughs> on the high street, right? So uh, it's uh, it is like there's nothing that's different about watching a you know video on YouTube or watching you know a movie in the in the theater. Uh, necessarily, uh, in, from a marketing point of view, I think. Um, so, so you've got to go where the people are, uh, and and uh, and I think at some point, you know, there won't really be digital marketing. Right, it's just going to be marketing, and uh, you know, offline will incorporate a lot of the elements of digital, like you'll be able to buy it programmatically, um, and and maybe uh, use some of the digital measurement methods. Um, uh, but then, uh, you know, digital. Uh, is going to also, I think, I've seen a shift uh, towards more traditional thinking in, in marketing. So, um, you know, now businesses are not just doing performance marketing. Uh, they're actually thinking about branding and um, actually thinking about video as like a more engaging format to drive brand experiences uh, rather than just like trying to make a short-term sale today. What about uh, when we think about the demand decreasing on the off- uh, offline side? Do you think similar kind of... Um hacking approach could be applied to offline channels? Yeah, I think um, I think they already are actually applying this. Uh, so like I, a few of the people I know who've uh, been you know, primarily digital people, uh, and now they're in charge of offline budgets too because their companies have grown up. Uh, they, they already are kind of using that mindset uh, and adopting it. Um, uh, so, so like uh, the guy who I wrote word of mouth coefficient blog post with uh, Yusuf Aji, uh, he you know he used to work um, at Class Dojo, uh, which uh, is a platform for teachers. Um, they they use it actually in, in a lot of schools in the US. Um, and he, their biggest channel was um, in person referral, right? So uh, they they had lots of um, users that would come you know come direct to the website and, and sign up, but they didn't know where those users were coming from. And when they interviewed people and they found it was like a teacher would be in a staff meeting and say, here's Class Dojo. I find it really useful. Do you guys want to use it? Right. So then the marketing uh, becomes around, like, how do you enable those people? Can you give them a presentation? Uh, right. So I, I think, um, you know, they, they're starting to hack that already. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you, you see a lot of, um, you know, digital banks doing 
offline stuff as well um you know and and, and the way they're approaching it is like they're, they're not just accepting the status quo they're coming in with this data-driven mindset and they're coming in with like a you know roi driven kind of mindset um but but i, I actually i don't think that's new right like um i you know david ogilvy said if you don't stop testing your advertising will never stop improving um right so like he was a growth hacker but he just didn't know it I think the testing mindset up, uh, applies to everything. So you just kind of have to get the data and try to improve it every loop. So never never stop, as you just mentioned. Like when you stop testing, that's kind of uh, when you stop improving as well. Yeah, I, I don't think the distinction is really between digital marketers and traditional marketers. I think it's between good marketers and bad marketers, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, like uh, if, if your marketing uh, team isn't testing and they're just making gut, gut-driven decisions, yeah. uh, you, could be, you could be lucky, right? Like maybe they're a genius like Steve Jobs and they just know what's going to work, but, um, but probably they're not. And, uh, and they're just, you know, kind of using a lack of testing to cover a lack of, uh, you know, ability or, or, or just... Uh, you know, wanted, wanted to get away with less work, I don't know. <laughs> Could be also like um, that they're scared to make the changes because then you're responsible for the result. So if you kind of uh, do as you've done in the past and kind of uh, stick with it, you cannot make big mistakes. You cannot improve, but on, this, uh, on the other hand, you cannot really get fired as well. Yeah, like uh, a lot of people think that big companies are there to make more money and actually they're, mm. they're probably more there to like preserve the money they have. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if you're, if you're already making billions um, uh, every year and, uh, and, and you know, the system is working, you've w- optimized that system over, mm. over decades maybe, uh, then, then actually, yeah, it's pretty rational to uh, try and avoid mistakes more than you try and uh, create new growth, right? Um, yeah. uh, because at the end of the day, like uh, it's a lot of people's lives if you do mess something up. Um, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I, I think ultimately organizations get the growth they deserve, <laughs> mm. uh, right? Like if uh, and and I, I don't blame the marketing team. Actually, uh, quite often this is an organizational challenge, right? It's not just felt in marketing. Um, if they don't have that culture of experimentation um, coming from the very top, uh, then uh, you know and 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 like you know everyone's afraid to put their neck on the line to test something, then uh, then of course you're not going to have people testing stuff, right? Like people respond mm-hmm. to incentives. Do you think kind of this can change from, like, uh, from top down or bottom up? So would it be the kind of CEO who comes to the marketing director and kind of uh, requires more testing and more kind of ambitious approach to, make, for example, budget allocation? Or do you think it comes bottom up like uh, through maybe your work? teaching those marketers and equipping them with uh, kind of the knowledge and tools to start the measurement on much higher frequency. I think it has to be both. It's like a pincer movement, right? Like from the top and, and the bottom. Um, yeah. Like uh, you, um, if you're an executive and you join a, a company that doesn't really do test anything uh, and you try and force them to test, you're probably going to have to fire a lot of people before you <laughs> get there, right? Or hire, that's, maybe they're a bit nicer and you want to, hire a new Skunk OX team and, and give them the freedom to test. It, it's going to be very, very hard to change the organization, uh, you know, because people have learned uh, that it's, you know, not rational uh, incentivized to test and, and they're not going to trust you, um, you know, from the beginning because uh, just because you're uh, senior to them, uh, because they've seen people come in, try and change things and then get fired or leave uh, from frustration. Right? So it's completely rational for them to push back. Sure. Uh, but but then uh, at the same time, if you're just doing it bottom up and, and uh, you're just going to get very frustrated when those results don't 
um, don't get a bubble up to the surface or don't get implemented um, or you don't get credit for, for what you've done. And, and that you're, you know, the best people will, will leave uh, that organization and go somewhere where, you know, they're more appreciated. Um, uh, you know, so I think it has to be both. Uh, but, but actually, the good news is uh, every organization has a lot of testing going on. It's just whether it's actually, you know, rising to the surface or not. Um, you know, like even in the boring kind of, uh, you know, rigid organizations, there are people that are experimenting. They just maybe don't tell the senior executives what they're doing, uh, right? Um, until until it's proven, and then they say, "Oh, here's this like thing I planned out." And, you know, <laughs> uh, so so like there's a lot, always some covert testing. Like people people if they're if they're good, like they they never stop thinking about how to improve uh, their job mm -hmm. or improve the results. So. Um, you know, it's the, usually if you do come in as an executive and you see and you don't see much of a testing culture, um, you can probably find the people who ally with you and they're already testing stuff. They just, you know, maybe you need to warm them up a little bit before they'll share with you what they're actually doing. Yeah, true. And maybe we need a bit more open discussion about the testing in general. Marketers are not that familiar with the market mix modeling. So kind of uh, the, the whole kind of uh, atmosphere has to maybe change a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that there needs to be interest from the top down in the details. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the biggest blocker I've found working with bigger companies uh, is, um, you know, like uh, you always hear this quote, it's like, don't bring, give me problems, give me solutions. <laughs> right. And, and it's like, well, if, if I, all I bring you is solutions, then then what's the point in you being, <laughs> being there? Right. <laughs> because uh, A, it's like interesting. Um, you know, for, for you to know that there's a problem uh, and, and, and B, uh, because I want to work on that problem together because you're more experienced than I am, you know. And I think, like, uh, when you have those types of executives, they just shut down any discussion uh, or it just kind of gives the message they're not really interested in uh, mm. in understanding the problem. Uh, and that can be really, really off-putting to uh, someone who's who really geeks out on this stuff, um, uh, you know. So uh, I think, like, uh, having that culture of, you know, executive who actually sit down with you and like look at the Excel model or like kind of try and at least like pretend to be interested in in uh, in, in, in the details. I think that goes a long way. Thinking about the kind of uh, tools and means to approach this testing testing uh, culture within companies, especially in marketing. How do you see now that the kind of a new IDFA change is coming? I know Google just announced that it'll be postponed by a year. It is inevitable. Like uh, ultimately, people don't want to be tracked, and uh, and they don't, and they think that they'll still get like free stuff if, even if there's uh, no ads, <laughs> right? Um, actually, they did a study, and they uh, like a, a, it was like a really large percentage of people, maybe it's like a third, uh, thought that um, by uh, by by saying they reject ads um, uh, or reject cookies, that that there was also going to get rid of the ads. Um, <laughs> right? uh, and, and and actually what they're getting is irrelevant ads, worse ads, right? Like, uh, yeah, I, I think people haven't made that connection. The average person doesn't know anything about online marketing and nor should they, right? Like it's it's not not really uh, majorly relevant to them, um, the mechanics of how it works. Uh, but but yeah, I think we need to do better as a, as a profession to like market uh, what we do, right? Like uh, ultimately people always want free stuff. There, there's an amazing value in, uh, you know what Google is doing for the world, like what Facebook is doing for the world. Uh, my, you know, my parents live in in Florida, uh, and uh, and therefore they haven't been able to come to the UK because of the lockdown. Uh, you know, and the fact that I can just hop on Facebook Messenger and do like a quick, uh, free, instant phone call, right? Like uh, with with video, anytime mm -hmm. I want. You know, and they can see my two year old daughter. 
um, uh, is, is amazing and, and it's completely free. And, and it wasn't free when I was growing up. Uh, it was very expensive, like, uh, you know, and we couldn't even use the internet at the same time as the phone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's kind of dating me. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, like, I, I think people forget that, like, this stuff is, is amazing. Um, and, and, it's, and it's only possible because it's supported by ads. And when you, when you have to have ads, it's probably better to have um, more targeted ads, more relevant ads. So, so I, I think people haven't made that connection. Uh, and therefore, it's going to be a struggle um, you know, like some people will never make that connection, but, uh, but yeah, it's always going to be this kind of arms race. You think kind of, uh, because Apple's one of the main culprits here, you think they have a, their own incentive to start blocking these third party cookies? Yeah. I, I mean, Apple has this, uh, I think Ben Thompson from Stratechery calls it like a strategy credit, right? Uh, like they've chosen the strategy of making money from hardware. Um, and uh, and that now increasingly services. Uh, so because they you know because they don't need to uh, track people in order to deliver those things, uh, they like you know killing tracking is like an easy easy win for them uh, because it, it hobbles their competitors like Google or Facebook, um, you know, and uh, it kind of decreases their power. Uh, but uh, you know like can be spun as a good news story as a PR, right? Um, like they have, they're running ads at the minute that says like what happens in your iPhone stays on your iPhone, right? Which isn't strictly true. Like you know the security isn't really any better than any other phone. <laughs> the the thing they don't tell you is that you know they also have their own ad network, right? In the and and of, obviously right now it's just limited to the App Store, but um, but uh, you know there are rumors that they're you know going to bring this out more broadly and 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 monetize the ads uh, in, in general. Uh, so, so yeah, I, th- I think all, all they've really done is uh, kind of, um, you know, they not haven't really helped consumer privacy so much as uh, just kind of made ads worse and, and, yeah. and given themselves a pat on the back. Um, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I'm very skeptical of their motivations. <laughs> Especially because it's all about the third-party cookies. They still have their own data and kind of... Uh, the, the Apple users, they have uh, their kind of phones and laptops and now watches. So they have built this system that gathers so much data. Uh, yeah. They don't actually kind of uh, need to use the third-party cookies so they can fight against it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and uh, and on mobile as well, the uh, identify the IDFA. Like, uh, and yeah, actually, that's the, the cookies is another point. Like, people don't people are focused right now on apps uh, because of IDFA, but uh, the other thing they've been slowly doing is um, this thing called ITP, which is intelligent tracking prevention, um, and that's on Safari. Um, uh, you know, and, and obviously, like Safari doesn't have a huge market share in, in terms of a browser. Uh, mm-hmm. But what uh, you might not realize is um, every browser that's on the iPhone. So if you download Chrome, for example, on your on your uh, phone, or if you know Facebook, uh, if, if you're browsing Facebook and you use their kind of in, in, in-app browser, that has to use and conform to Safari's guidelines as well. Uh, so, um, you know, on mobile, on, on iPhone in general, like if you, anyone browsing on an iPhone, uh, have their cookies deleted after seven days. If your product takes 10 days uh, on average uh, for someone to buy it, then uh, you have no attribution. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's not just like the IDFA apocalypse that's happening. It's, it's, it's a concerted effort across multiple uh, avenues. When we start to prepare for the future and kind of uh better understand what we can do with the data. What would be your advice for marketers interested in kind of um, 
learning more about the market mix modeling? Yeah, I, I mean, come take my course. <laughs> so I, I've been working on uh, vexpower.com uh, um, for, for the past year. Uh, and uh, that's, um, I call it kind of like a training simulator, a simulator-based based course. Uh, so, um, you know, you, you'll learn marketing mix modeling while doing it, but it's in more of like a, a realistic scenario. So it's not just lots of boring videos, um, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, or, or like a lot of books to read. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, you get, get an email from the CEO uh, that asks how the TV campaign nice. is performing. And you have to think, okay, well, yeah, how, how would I, you know, if I, like, I've gotten that email in the past, right? Like, how do I respond to that? I, I didn't know how to measure the impact of TV. Um, so, uh, so I had to figure it out, right? And, and uh, you know, in this simulator, it kind of walks you through how to do that. So, um, so, so yeah, plugging my own thing, like, I, like obviously, I think it's a good solution. I've also written a blog post uh, called Econometrics in G Sheets, um, uh, which basically just shows how to build a simple marketing mix model in Excel uh, or, G or Google Sheets. Um, and and I, I usually point people to that because mm. it's you know, an easy way to get acquainted with it. Um, you know, in a few minutes, uh, you can kind of download the template and see how that works. Um, uh, so, so that's useful. Um, the way that I learned marketing mix modeling, uh, I guess it was kind of three things. One was uh, just talking to experts. Um, so uh, I talked to Grace Kite, uh, Dr. Grace Kite, um, who runs Magic Numbers. Um, uh, and she was a huge help in, in teaching me a bunch of stuff, showing me the ropes. Um, you know, uh, Tom Roach, uh, who uh, was at, used to be at BBH, uh, um, uh, which is how I, how I know him, uh, because my last agency was uh, incubated by BBH. Uh, and then, you know, just a few others I've been talking to. Um, uh, actually, like Sal Forte was uh, another one, uh, Baz, uh, from your team. Uh, you know, I, I, I reach out to these people and just ask them, like, what they're doing, um, you know, what, uh, what uh, they found useful, uh, and kind of ask them the questions I've run into. Um, but then I think you can't just go ask people for advice uh, mm. because it's not it's not useful for them to give advice and and they'll be annoyed at giving that advice if you're not sharing effort yourself. Uh, so I think the real key to pair with that is actually like doing your own experimentation. So um, I spent you know weeks and weeks and weeks building my first marketing mix model um, and it was really slow going and, and I had to learn a lot of Python code to, to, to do it. Um, uh, you know, when I graduated from the Excel uh, models. Uh, so so uh, because I was doing that, I actually had good questions to ask these people. I think that's that's the really key uh, part. Um, uh, that, and then I, I guess the final thing is just, um, you know, searching Stack Overflow, searching Kaggle to see uh, what code people have used already, um, finding tutorials like uh, Machine Learning Mastery is a good course for this type of thing. Um, uh, so yeah, just, just going through, and putting the work in and and, uh, and and then through putting that work in and, and publishing it like in blog posts, I, I've then managed to meet interesting people and, and then the cycle continues. So learn the basics through, for example, success phrases, simulators. I think that's kind of a very practical approach to it because you can kind of play around with simulate, simulate data or test data. Exactly. To understand yeah, you don't necessarily need your own, your own data because yeah. uh, that's usually a big blocker. Like first blocker is just yeah, yeah compiling all of the data in one place. I think also like uh, especially the data issue is one of the key things that you, the data might not be in that good shape in your own company, but like after going through your course, you understand also what the data quality means. Yeah, one one of the biggest questions I get from people is, um, you know, do I have enough data to build? Yeah, a yeah. 
right? And, um, and, and actually the answer is, um, you know, you can build a pretty simple model uh, that's useful uh, with, with not much data. Um, uh, but, but if you wanted to build a really complex model, uh, like, you know, uh, like what Disney uses, <laughs> right? Um, for, uh, they'll probably have, you know, tons of variables and, and take months of, of work uh, to clean all that data. Um, uh, so, so I, I would say, uh, like, you should, you, you will definitely have enough data to do something, uh, but, but probably not enough data to do everything. Um, is, yeah. <laughs> is the answer. So uh, learn the ropes. Look what other has other people has done, and then just start experimenting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think the experimenting is key because th that's the thing most learners miss is. Uh, they don't actually do the task like they just watch videos or read mm. books or you know ask people questions and uh you'll you won't get anything out of that unless you're also applying it in real time yourself mm. you need to build an intuition for you know like you need to run a model 10 times and see like different outputs right and and kind of build an intuition for like what is a good variable what is a bad variable or like what what data cleaning issues are you running into Uh, and then when you do talk to a mentor uh, who, you know, who knows what they're doing, they're going to enjoy that conversation so much more if you come to them with good questions, right? And they're going to reveal so much more about like how they do their work um, that, that will benefit you. Um, it, it becomes more of like a mutual partnership, uh, you know, like an enjoyable conversation for them because they enjoy digging into details. Um, uh, the, the worst thing you can do is just go to them with like, Uh, you know what? What is marketing mix modeling, or, or like, you know, yeah? Can you explain to me how linear regression works? Well, it's like, well, yeah, like you could Google that, and it's on Wikipedia, right? Um, as like, you, they want a bit more detail. Like, um, how would I include the exchange rate in in my model? Uh, because uh, I, I think that might be important for this client. Awesome! Hey, thanks, Mike, for the insightful and thoughtful chat. I hope we can yeah. keep it up in the future as well, and. Um, Interesting to see, and especially interesting to test the success rates, uh, like marketing modeling course. XYZ is uh, is my uh, consulting kind of uh, website, but uh, the simulator is on vexpower.com. Uh, v e x p o w e r. Yeah. So www.vexpower.com. I strongly recommend everybody to go and give it a try. Um, I think it's one of the best ways to get into the world of marketing modeling. And uh, as a bonus, it doesn't require any of your own data. So uh, good good place to start your journey on the marketing mix modeling world. In the next episode, we'll have a global marketing measurement manager from one of the biggest and best known fashion retailers in the world. We'll be talking about uh, how to apply marketing mix modeling on a global scale, what this requires from data point of view, what systems might be involved, and how to manage such a complex task. My name is Chris Kervinen, this was Half Wasted, and I'll see you in the next episode.